Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey, everyone. <laughs> um, thanks for inviting me as a guest to Rooted Black Girls. I'm really honored and excited to share more about myself. Um, I'm Afshan, and I have known Farah and Afshan for a few years now. Um, I went to Berkeley with Farah while she was doing her optometry um, grad school there. And uh, just a little bit about myself. I am a Bay Area native and- Bay Area. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and um, I was a teacher for a couple of years. And after teaching for a couple of years, I transitioned into tech, but specifically in ed tech. And now I've transitioned more into just like software tech, but really through the journey that I've had with education and teaching and all of my careers, picked up a, a few skills about how to really like manage my money and how I think about finances and financial empowerment and have gotten really passionate about sharing whatever I've learned over the years. And I'm no expert by any means, but just sharing that with my peers and my friends because I think it could be really intimidating. And uh, I've done hours and hours of work and research to understand some of these concepts that can be a little bit hard to understand and sometimes inaccessible. Um, so I just wanna make that knowledge really accessible for the people that I love and beyond. Yeah, Afshan, I've always been so impressed with you because I feel like, I don't know if you were being irresponsible with your money, but I totally was. And then I, you know, as I was being irresponsible, I saw like the shift in Afshan and you being kind of a guru for a lot of our friend group. And I've definitely have given you a call or anytime we're on a trip, I'm like, yo, but tell me more, <laughs> you know? So, and that's where we all go to, I think. We go to our friend groups, our girlfriends, our guy friends, and we're like, tell us about that thing that you became an expert in for your own personal life and your own personal journey. And so we're so excited to have you here today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I know that uh, we want to know exactly like maybe some details around when you were like, I got to get this together. Like, I want to know more about how I budget, where I'm spending my money, how I spend my money. I know you've talked about using Mint. Um, can you tell us a little more about, you know, what made you go on that journey? Yeah. So. I didn't grow up with a lot and my parents were always really savvy with saving and really instilling in us that, you know, before you spend even a dollar, ask yourself, do I need this to spend this dollar on this specific thing? Or will I need this later down the line for maybe something that's more important? And that meant having like a lot of really hard conversations and making sacrifices. So I was always kind of used to that lifestyle growing up. And then when I got a little bit older and moved off to college and I started making my own money for the first time, it wasn't a lot, but I was like financially independent from my parents in a way that I wasn't before. I mean, they were always really supportive and really amazing um, and always, you know, were guiding me and offering advice. But it was the first time that I get to make a lot of decisions about, okay, well, I, you know, when you're a student, you're making like $300 a month and you're like, oh, I got paid. <laughs> I felt so rich in undergrad. <laughs> yeah. And so when I first started off, like making money in college, I would just spend every single dime that I was making because I was like, yes, of course I need this. I didn't want to call you out, but I remember us going to like H&M and being dumb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would spend every single dollar because I knew that more money was going to come in. But that's not necessarily how to live, right? I was living paycheck to paycheck. And you can live like that when you're in college because you have 
maybe a little bit of a safety net, like knowing that you're in school and you might have loan money and stuff that you have sitting in the bank. Um, but as I got older and I started becoming more aware, I realized, okay, I wanted to kind of give back to my family and take on more responsibility. And it's not something that they ever asked of me or even required of me. It's just something that I realized that as you get older, and, and this is maybe a very immigrant mentality, so maybe the two of you can also relate, but just this idea of like taking care of your family and putting your family first. So when I started getting into that kind of a mindset, I realized, okay, I needed to actually budget because if I didn't budget, then I wouldn't actually have anything to contribute. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of started the shift in the way that I thought about money. And then as I graduated from college and I got my first real job out of college, I was making like $38,000 a year. I was a teacher for the first time. I was like my first time, like full-time job. I was living on my own, like away from home for the first time. So there were so many transitions happening in my life. And that was kind of my really, really, really first time that I had to like pay all my bills. And like, I worked for every cent that I made. So I was really aware of where all of my money was going. And that was also the first time in my life that I had like large payments that were due on me, like student loan payments and stuff, right? Um, and so I realized really quickly, if I didn't actually learn to prioritize where my money was going, then I just wouldn't be able to make it or it would just be really stressful. Mm -hmm. So um, I started really just like started off with simple Google searches, like how do I budget? And that's where I learned the 50, 30, 20 rule where like 50% of your money should, no more than 50% of your money should go towards living expenses that you need. 30% uh, of your money can go towards flexible stuff, like fun stuff. Um, and 20% of your money should definitely always go into your savings or your emergency account every month. And so I started living just by those simple basic rules. And then as I got even more older and started making a little bit more money, I realized, hey, actually there's more that I could do with my money or my money could go further. Or actually I can set up different kinds of accounts so I can save for that vacation that I want to take and I won't have to dip into my, my emergency fund. And I can also, maybe I know like, at the end of the year, I'm gonna have like two or three friends weddings that I'm going to. So I can create like a separate fund in my savings account for, you know, saving up for the outfits or the, the gifts that I need to give for that. So really try learning to compartmentalize my money helped a lot just doing those simple things. And then over the course of that time, I think about maybe six or seven years ago, I learned about mint.com through a friend and um, I, downloaded the app and I just got addicted because it's a really great tool to use to organize your money, budget your money, really like have a good sense of where your money is going. You can pull really detailed graphs on there. You can see, oh, like I'm actually spending like a thousand dollars a month on this thing. Or like I spent $10,000 this year on Starbucks. Maybe I shouldn't do that next year. So it kind of like really keeps you in check. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so interesting because uh, I feel I connect with you more than some of my other friends who are also budgetistas because I feel like you're a natural spender because you look fly, you know, you go on your trips, mashallah. <laughs> and when I see people like struggling not getting their coffee, I'm like, that's not the way I want to live, you know? <laughs> so can you tell us a little more. Am I right that you feel like you're a natural spender and then you kind of categorize how you want to spend? 
Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like even with budgeting, I've never made decisions that I thought, oh, like, I really feel like I'm lacking right now, or I feel like I'm behind, or I feel like I couldn't participate in this thing that I really wanted to participate in because I didn't have the funds, because I would just prioritize. If that's the thing that I really want to spend my money on, then I'm going to go all in and within reason, but it means that I might not do these other two things that someone else invited me to, or that might be options for me to spend money on, right? Wait, like on that a little bit, because I don't think I uh, not, I don't not take people's invites. So, so there are, and you look good doing <laughs> right, mashallah? So, so is that something you're doing? You're gonna go to this person's wedding, but you may not go to this person's kick it or something? Like, yeah, absolutely. I think part of prioritization and compartmentalization of your money and even like the mindsets around your money yeah. are thinking about your time also as a currency and your time is linked to, it's a currency in its own, but it's linked to a monetary currency, which is when you go somewhere, you're going to spend money. You're going to spend, you know, the Uber ride there or the, the bus ticket or the gas money or the food that you're going to spend on, or maybe the gift that you're going to take with you. So just all those things come into account, right? So you need to be thinking about every single action that you have in your life that you can take as a form of, um, as an action that has some type of currency associated with it. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what about, now I know you've traveled to more than 30 countries. Um, traveling is a huge, I think, you know, it's a lot of fun, but it's a huge, huge expense. Um, how do you, like, what part of your budget goes, like, is there a percentage that you go and, and you take money from your um, income monthly and goes directly into a travel fund? Yeah, so the way that I save for for trips is that I um, actually plan out all of my trips at the beginning of the year. Nothing is set in stone, but I will basically like create a roadmap of, okay, I think that I want to take these four trips this year. So I know that I have to plan time and also money around these four times in my life um, in terms of months, right? It makes sense because we plan so many other things in our life around quarters. So um, if you also think about your travel in the same way and your time being a form of currency, there's only a specific number of days that you can really take in terms of vacation, right? And get away from your life or your job. So I typically plan out that roadmap at the beginning of the year. So I know I have a good sense of, okay, I think I'm going to need X dollars this year for travel. And the way that I do that math is simply just based on previous spending. Um, you know that, and, and like just as you get more experience as a traveler, you know, okay, like maybe a ticket to this place is going to cost me $2,000. Um, food probably typically costs me like $500 each trip. So, you know, you kind of like learn your own patterns and then you're able to budget that way. Um, and that's typically what I do. The other thing is that when I'm thinking about the trips that I want to take, I also think about what things I'm going to be really frugal on, what things I'm going to splurge on. Okay. And so for me, the things that I care more about are experiences and food. And so I don't necessarily question myself when I'm going to buy a pastry or have that expensive three course meal. Mm -hmm. But in terms of accommodations, I don't necessarily care where I end up staying. So I stay at a lot of hostels and that saves me a lot of money. Right. And that might not work for everyone. So I think it's really about being self-aware and knowing mm -hmm. what your travel style is. For me, I'm able to make my money go so much further because I'm being really frugal on an expense that can otherwise really add up pretty high. Um, and if that's not the style that works for you, then 
you need to be able to think, okay, I know that I want to stay at that nice hotel, which means that maybe I'm going to take like 50% less travel this year because my hotel is I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I might have to do two trips a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's just really all about being self-aware, right? And understanding what you're going to prioritize. And that doesn't mean that you can't take advantage of those like last minute trip invites or you know, weddings that come up because that always happens in our community. Yeah. So those like I'm getting married in three months, so <laughs> come through. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of uh, self awareness, something I wanted to ask you: some of the people who are listening to this and watching this may not have a real good idea. You talked a little bit about when you were younger, kind of like your family background and some of the really important values that they instilled in you. Um, if you're willing to share something, I think would be really like amazing to kind of share with us would be, you know, from the Afshan that you were in college, right? Like, what was your situation there? Like, you, you told us a little bit about like how you spent money, but your financial situation, how was it then versus where you're at now? And then if you can also bridge to us, like, what is your like five, 10 year goal? Because I know for me and you and I've had these conversations, so, you know, this is not new to you, but it really went from, I didn't really think about money other than paying bills to then I, I was aware of like, oh no, like financial freedom is something that requires generational wealth. And now that that's fueling my desire for 401k. So, you know, because you're such so ahead of the game, Marshall, and you've done so much research, can you kind of walk us through that evolution and help us understand like where you were at then, what you're at now, like what are your goals right now? And then what, what level do you aspire to ascend to in the future? Yeah. So when I was in college, I had, Alhamdulillah, I received a good chunk of grants. And then whatever grants didn't cover, I ended up taking loans. So by the time that I graduated college, I had $30,000, $35,000 of debt from student loans. And during that time, I had also been working I worked one job my freshman year of college, and then I worked two jobs from sophomore year to senior year of college. And um, essentially what I would do was, um, one of the jobs that I had was an on-campus work-study job, and I made like $300 a month or something with that one. And that's the money that I would use for like food and shopping and public transport and like any other kind of expense that might've come up for school and stuff. Um, and then the other job that I had, I was making like $500 a month from that one. And that's the job that I used to pay my rent every month. So pretty much I had basically understood that if I didn't have those two sources of income, it would be very tough on me. So I dedicated the time that I needed to put in the hours to be able to make that money. And then I was also strategic about knowing, okay, this job pays for this thing, and then this job and this source of income pays for everything else. Um, and then as I got older and moved more into like full-time roles, then, you know, of course you only have, or I only had one source of income at that time. But again, it was very much um, me thinking about, like, for example, my first job, like I said, I was at $38,000 teaching. I had teaching expenses. I was finishing up grad school. So I had grad school expenses, plus, you know, like exploring a new city, eating out, um, grocery shopping, just all kinds of things. Um, and for that situation, I basically was just really uh, strategic about where I lived. I knew that I couldn't afford a very expensive apartment. So I found something that worked for me. It was in a good location. I liked the place. Um, I lived with a roommate. I knew that that was going to be the only way that I was going to be able to make my money go further. 
And um, I was also really smart about what kinds of bills I had. Um, my roommate and I split our utilities, but I didn't have a TV, so we didn't pay for cable. Um, and then later on, my roommate ended up getting a TV, but she paid for the cable herself because I wouldn't watch it. So just being really um, clear about where my boundaries were in terms of what I was spending money on. And then as I got older and made more money and moved up, um, the thing that I didn't do was think about my money in terms of, hey, like I'm making so much more so I can spend so much more now. Because that's basically how you continue to live paycheck to paycheck, right? Because then you're not necessarily having anything that's saving over. You're not building that cushion. You're not building that that source that's going to maybe get you that generational wealth, like you mentioned, Afnan. So really like the mindset that I have adopted as I've gotten older is just being really intentional about not thinking of myself where I want to be in terms of my spending power like five years from now but thinking of myself where I am today um, and then spending accordingly um, and really just prioritizing saving right so even though I can now spend more things on you know shopping or extra stuff that I might not have been able to spend money on five years ago I still choose not to only because I'm I'm prioritizing other things. Um, and that's okay because maybe down the line I'm going to decide, hey, I actually do want to prioritize this thing that I haven't bought for like the last five years, even though I've kind of wanted it because it was a little bit of a splurge. And now I feel ready that I can get this. So I think just being really patient with myself. Um, and that's been my self-awareness journey. Um, does that answer your question? I think what I was kind of hoping to get was like, Kind of like a snapshot right because when people say but i mentioned earlier like you know she's seen the evolution like the financial growth of Afshan. um but for those who may not know you try kind of understanding like what that kind of looks like like you know were you able to pay off all of your debt like have you been able to contribute to like retirement um things that maybe some of our viewers haven't considered or are, are just now starting to think about so that they can look at your situation and be like man if she was a spender like i was a, like i'm a spender now there there's a path like i can see myself in her and i can i can maybe get to these points and so i was just curious like you know you know what what that looks like now yeah um so in terms of my spending journey, for sure, um, I started off not spending that much money, but as I started spending more, I was very intentional about what I was spending on. And so those things ended up being spending to, to pay off debt and spending to save for my retirements. Um, and so the first thing that I did was after I finished grad school and I did an assessment of my financial situation and realized I had almost $40,000 of student loan debt. I became really um, focused and one track minded in terms of trying to pay that off. And so what I did was I didn't really take any trips. I didn't really spend any extra money on stuff, but that's because that worked for me. And I was very, very intentional about paying off my student loans. And so I had a safety net emergency fund, a savings fund that basically only had 10% of my income. And that's how I had basically decided like, it's not a good situation, but I had other 
resources that I could rely on, alhamdulillah, like with my family, I was living with them. And so I was able to save. And so I basically funneled any money that I would have been spending otherwise into my student loan payments. And so for me, it became like almost routine and obsessive. Any extra dollars that I ever had, I paid off towards that debt mostly because I had done the research. I didn't qualify for any student loan forgiveness programs. I think if you do qualify for student loan for forgiveness programs, you should absolutely take advantage of those and there's no need to ever fully pay off your student loan debt if you don't need to, but I didn't qualify for those programs. Monopoly money comment from Fada. So I didn't qualify for those and I did the math and I realized, okay, this money, if I paid off within the 20 or 30 years that they've given me, I'm going to be like, like older than I need to be. Um, the, the interest just keeps accumulating and it compounds. So basically like it just multiplies so fast. And I knew that that was a really big priority for me. It was stressing me out. I didn't like being in debt with student loans and it was the only debt that I had. Alhamdulillah. So basically, I just got really, really um, methodical. I looked at the student loans that I had, and I had about 10 lines of student loan through Sally Mae. And each one of those 10 lines had a different amount, right? A different balance. I think like the highest balance was like 7,500 and the lowest balance was like $1,000. And so I started off with those lower balance loans first, because I realized that I could just cancel out that entire account of debt. And it would make me feel really good because otherwise I'm kind of paying, you know, with your, your minimum payment, you're paying a small percentage of each one of the loans that you have, but I wasn't necessarily seeing a result. And so I would make my minimum payment and that was basically fulfilling the obligation that I had to each one of those loans every month. But then I would make a separate payment on top of that every month to a specific loan that I decided that I was focusing in on. And so once I started seeing those lines of credit closing, like, oh, that $1,000 paid off. Now I only have nine loans left. Oh, another $1,000 is paid off. Now I only have eight loans left. Oh, like this one has $3,000. So maybe I'll make six payments of $500 each every month, and then I'll be able to pay that one off in six months. So just doing the math and kind of being like really routine about kind of mapping it out for myself, I was able to increase my spending but towards something that I cared about and that was helping me for my future. After I paid off all of my student loans, alhamdulillah, I think it took three years. Um, then I realized, you know, I had all this income that I previously had been spending towards my student loans that was now just sitting in my savings account. And that's when I started getting interested in retirement investing because I had done some research and I had kind of learned some steps towards financial freedom. Um, and um, the step that you basically take after you pay off some of that really high interest or like, um, the steps that you take after you pay off your high interest loans or like your large pieces of debt like your student loans are basically starting to think about retirement and saving for retirement. And so I realized that my company had a um, IRA account that they sponsored for us. Um, and then they also did a match in that IRA account. So if I was putting away um, a certain percentage of my paycheck every month into my IRA account, then my company was also giving me 3% extra money um, just for simply saving for my retirement. So they were rewarding me for doing that. And I realized that was free money and that I needed to take advantage of it. 
So I started off literally just with the bare minimum. Whatever minimum number was going to get me the match for my company, that's basically what I started off with. And I did that for a year. I liked seeing my savings account growing because that was the first time in my life that I had more than like $5,000 a month or $5,000 at any time or $3,000 at any time in my savings account. And I felt really just like strong and empowered, like, oh, if something bad happens, I can definitely like take care of myself. And then I realized actually like my savings account was like not the best place for my money to be. Um, and so what I ended up doing was as I changed jobs and I got access to other types of retirement accounts, I realized that I needed to do more research just to understand it because it's really, really intimidating, especially if you don't know, if you haven't, haven't had one, or maybe like, I don't know about you, big you all, but my parents didn't have access to retirement accounts. So that's not something that they were able to teach me about. Their retirement savings plan was basically like save, buy a house, raise your children so that they're smart, and then kind of let them be your retirement plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my children, my reti retirement fund. <laughs> yeah. And that's because that, that was like, mashallah, our parents did a great job, and that was like what always worked. But that's not what works for us in our generation anymore. And so when I started doing research about what it means to save for retirement, I realized that I was behind and that this was a really, really good opportunity for me to invest my money and to also become really financially empowered and independent in the future. Um, yeah. Very good. Thanks for sharing that, Afshan. Um, I know you're so humble. I'm like, Afshan has also helped her sisters with their student loan debt. Like it's a family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh so, yeah, mashallah. <laughs> something that I that worked in my family, and I just want to be very clear, like this is not going to work for everyone, and that's okay. But it worked for my family. Was that after I had paid off my student loan debt, my two younger sisters had maybe twenty thousand dollars or something between the two of them, and so well we realized was that they didn't necessarily have the type of setup that could help them pay off their student loan debt even though it was you know it was a smaller number than mine was but they were still in school they were um, in internships they were still figuring their careers out and those student loan payments were due and so what we started doing was we basically the three of us decided that we were going to turn it into collective debt and that the three of us were going to help pay it off together. Um, and basically what that meant was that uh, you have, instead of being the only person responsible for paying off your student loan and doing it within however many years it takes you, you're able to bring in someone that you trust who basically can forward you money without any kind of interest, without any kind of strings attached. And you, can figure out a system of repayment together there. And so for my sisters and I, what that meant was prioritizing um, first one of them and then the second one's debt and getting that paid off within a year. And again, the way that we did that was just maximizing payments for those student loans. It meant for me definitely like making sacrifices for the greater good, but I knew that I was 
doing the right thing because obviously like I care about my sisters. It's a, in a position that I was able to be, that I was able to be helpful in. And my sisters and I were able to work out a system of repayment, which basically for us is after my sister finishes residency, she's sending me on a very expensive vacation. Hey. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, so then you have also been participating in the Islamic Center's NYU courses. And this girl just humble, mashallah, because I get an email and I'm like, hold up, I know her. <laughs> I got on the Zoom. She told no one, bruh. And um, it was a wealth of knowledge. And even after, I had so many questions after where I had, where I ended up sch scheduling our own personal FaceTime Zoom, if you will. And I had, I, we had loads of questions of like after dark with Afshan. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> it was really fun. It was a lot of fun. And you've, you're so great at that. I hope you continue doing um uh, those classes with ICNYU because I think everyone needs to hear uh, what you're saying. Um, we spoke offline about Zakat because I was like, man, do, do I, is it annual gross income or what's going on here, you know? <laughs> and so can you talk a little more about that? And for our uh, followers or people who are listening who um, want to know what Zakat is, it's basically like tithings in the Christian community. It's money that we give to our religious institutions to take care of poor or people who are of lower income or maybe have difficulty around obtaining food. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Afshan. Yeah, um, so absolutely. Zakat is 2.5% of your wealth. And that is the key thing there. Can you guys imagine if we had to pay 10%? <laughs> you know, in the Christian community, I'm like, wow, Allah was nice. <laughs> we got to know, but I mean, 2.5 is, I much prefer that. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's definitely, um, when you think about it, it's totally doable. And it's, again, based on your wealth, not on your income. So your wealth is actually money that you have in the savings account. That's like money that's like your funds that you don't need for your bills. So when you're calculating your zakat, you're actually calculating zakat on any kind of gold assets that you own, any kind of stock money that you own that's currently being traded in the stock market, any kind of funds that you've had in your savings account. But all of this is with the caveat that you have to have owned it for over a year. So any kind of, let's say like it comes time that your time, it's time for you to pay your zakat, but you just, you know, got a major inheritance. Um, you actually are not obligated to pay zakat on that money until you've had it for a year. Mm. And so, like you said, Fura, I think it's very, like a very merciful system because if you really think about it, the, the logic is, is so sound and also so just um, for the people, right? Because the idea is that they want that you that you are supposed to use your wealth to enhance someone else's life who might not be able to have the resources that you do, but it's also not meant to be a burden on you. So if you've had money that you've been sitting on for over a year, it means that that's money that you haven't had to use yet. And so that's exactly why you're only obligated to pay money or zakat on that money or those assets. Now the thing is with something like a 401k or an IRA account, you don't actually have to pay zakat on those funds because those are funds that you can't access. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing is that you should typically pay your zakat on the same day of the year, every year, so that you can kind of keep track of what money you've had for the entire year. And so what that means is that for me specifically, I decide which day that's going to be for me. And I decided that I wanted that to be the 27th day or the 27th night of Ramadan. Excuse me. And so that date changes every year based on the lunar calendar, but it doesn't change in the Islamic calendar. And so that's how I've kind of set up that logic, that logic for myself. And so I just write down the number that I have in my savings account and all the other different types of funds that are zakat eligible um, that I own. And once the year has passed, I kind of will do an assessment of my accounts to see where that new number is. And I'll just pay the money on anything that I've accumulated since then. Um, and so it kind of keeps me accountable. It also keeps it very methodical because then I'm able to keep track of, okay, like I've had this money for a year, but I haven't had this money for quite a year. So I'm able to also make that distinction. And I'm able to just be very fair and very um, proactive in the way that I'm paying my zakat. The other thing to note is that your zakat needs to go to a zakat eligible organization or cause. And so that's not every cause that you might already be donating to, or it might be a very specific donation fund of the organizations that you're already supporting. So be sure that when you are donating your zakat that it's going to a zakat eligible fund. If you're not sure, just email the organization, call the organization and find out. Zakat is typically the type of funds that need to go towards orphans, widows, um, disabled folks, people who don't otherwise have any other source of income, um, and the recipients of zakat, I believe, also need to be Muslim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, okay, so zakat is kind of that, that tithing of sorts, 2.5%, but are you also budgeting money out for tzedakah on a monthly basis, you know, if you can expound on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing to note is, I know I typically like in my emergency fund will budget in money in case I owe taxes to the IRS. Mm -hmm. And in the same vein, I also in my savings account budget in money that I know that I'm going to owe for Zakat every year so that it doesn't take me by surprise. Um, something that I've seen some of my friends do is that they pay off Zakat as the year continues to go through so that it doesn't all pile up on them at the same time. I prefer to give it all at the same time on one day. That's my preferred method. But with that being said, I do also like to have money that I put away for Sadaka every month as well. Just because, um, you know, giving increases the soul, giving is a very integral part of our our faith and our, our, you know, our community. Um, it's actually like such an important way to get involved and be able to make an impact. Um, and the other thing is like, we are the keepers of our community. We are the keepers of our organizations and the causes that we care about. So it's time, especially as you get older to put your money where your mouth is, right? Like, yeah. um, and so with the Sadaka, I 
think that any everyone can do it in their own way, but I highly encourage that you say you pay something every month, even if it's ten dollars. Um, and the way that I have done it is basically I've chosen a few organizations that I think their cause is really valuable and it means something to me. These organizations can totally change over time, so I haven't supported the same organization. Um, the entire time or every year, maybe. Um, so it just totally depends. Um, I also like to keep funds um, for Sedeca every month that are just going to go to, towards causes that maybe would not have otherwise been able to get um, funded otherwise, right? Like those launch good campaigns, those Kickstarter campaigns. So basically just really like being intentional about where you're going to spend your money and I think that Sadaka and Zakat need to be integral parts of where things that you build into your budget on what you're going to be spending on. Yeah I always say uh, Maya Angelou says giving liberates the soul of the giver and it's one of my favorite quotes but yeah Zakat, uh, Sadaka will ultimately kind of feed you and your vessels um, at the end of the day more than the people that you're serving and taking care of. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, so Afshan, before you joined the show today, we were talking about Mahed. And so I know that you saw some of our conversation on Instagram last week, but wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to provide your insights on Mahed overall and anything that you thought was interesting from the polls from our followers. Thank you for um, having those conversations, I think it's so important. I was really excited, obviously, <laughs> when you posted that stuff because I sent you guys paragraphs yeah. of like commentary, <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe I'm being annoying, but I was having so much fun doing it. Um, but uh, okay, firstly, women, you need to recognize that Mahar is your huck. That is something that has been ordained for you by Allah. So do not feel shy. Do not feel ashamed to ask for your haq. Secondly, be responsible, be merciful, be loving, and be reasonable with your mahar. Um, this is not an opportunity for you or your family to bring out cultural dogma and um, make decisions that are going to be financially hard for your partner or perhaps even cause a rift in your relationship. And maybe rightfully so, if you make demands that are just not coming from a place of love. Um, typically the way that I think about Meher is that it needs to be a conversation. Um, but as a woman, especially because it is your huck, you're allowed to say, I really prefer this thing over this thing, or this amount over this, or this type of experience over this. Really, you get to set the conversation. You get to set what you're interested in, what you're not interested in. And the thing that I found really interesting about the polls that you were posting was just the fact that there was such a wide array of responses from women saying, you know, $75,000 to $1. Or like, maybe he needs to memorize the Quran and that's going to be my meher. So it was just very wild, right? But that's, I think, intentionally how it's supposed to be. It's, it is a very deeply personal decision and conversation to be had with your partner and maybe with your family if that's necessary or relevant for you. But, um, I think that for me, I've always thought about it in terms of um, less of a number and more of what makes sense. That could be 
something like a percentage over X number of years of income. That could be um, a number that you write in, but you only take a percentage upfront and the rest is maybe towards something else. I don't think that there's any one right or wrong way to do it, but for sure it's something that you need to be very, very clear about and have a lot of agreement about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And are I you like one specific number, do you know among your community are, are people like 20,000 is an average or is it a 5,000, you know, cause there was a wide range when I was. There was such a wide range. It's really wild. Yeah. A lot of friends that I have spoken to have mentioned the $10,000 range, but like I said, I don't think that's a end all be all right. Because somebody might hear that number and think, oh, that's really too low because maybe they got it like that. Or they might hear that number and think that's really high because they don't got it like that. Mm -hmm. um, I personally think that you should include the cost of your engagement ring within your mahar because that is, to me, like part of that marriage process. And so it's, it's something that's not weird in terms of like that kind of conversation that can have, especially if your partner is just starting off in their career and maybe doesn't have that type of cushion. Um, and traditionally, mahar was the price of one gold coin. Um, and that has absolutely evolved over time, right? Like I think the price of a gold coin now is like $1,500 or something. So if you think about it, that might be like an engagement ring for someone. Um, I think there is so much wisdom in the way that our sunna and our religion is set up that people are encouraged to fall in love and find love and be like really intentional about the way that they're starting off their marriages, right? Um, and so when you are starting off your marriage on a foot that's like not considerate towards your partner, it can definitely be a little bit scary for your partner. Um, so I think like mahar definitely needs to be something that comes from a place of love. Yeah. And I think you have to have conversations among yourselves and you have to know each other's finances before getting into it. And I think I even found some people who didn't have kind of a conversation of how much is my spouse making? And I'm like, what, you know? <laughs> and then I had another conversation where, and I told Afnan this earlier, where a father was like, you better bring that W2 to my house before you knock on my door. <laughs> You know, so, um, yeah, I think you have to be reasonable and kind at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Afshan, you were great. We almost want you to be kind of like our financial affiliate. Inshallah, in the future, <laughs> call you up, call a friend, <laughs> Afnan, <laughs> Afshan. Yeah. It could be like, hey, ask ask your financial questions. We'll yeah. answer to these. For sure, inshallah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for everybody who joined with us this week. If you guys have any more ideas of topics we can discuss in our IG stories in our next debate for next week, please let us know. We want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Afshan for joining us. It was so wonderful having you here. If you guys are interested in having any other guests or want to be a guest yourself, also reach out. We're looking for additional folks to kind of host. But until next week, see you guys.